Repeat the top with me, please. Say, building, building. A, future a future with passion. Now, if you're going to say that, you need to say it with a little bit more enthusiasm. Come on, say, building, building. A, future a future with passion. Passion is something that's infectious. If you've ever been around passionate people, they, they, they are very obvious. They're the ones who come early to work. They're the ones who stay late. They're the ones who've read the manual. They know the rules for the job. The passionate people are the people who don't just teach a class. They go over their lesson plans and update them every year. Passionate people read about what they do. A passionate manager is not a manager who just manages a passionate manager is someone who reads about management. They're always wanting to take a class or do some research. A passionate person is different than a, a person who's just kind of floating around. If you're not careful in your, in your life, you won't be passionate. You'll be a positive fantasizer. And there's a word that I picked up just the other day in a book that I'm going to tell you about in a minute. And I want you to repeat this term, term with me because I just so love it. It's my, one of my new favorite terms. Say positive. Positive. Fantasizing. fantasizing. Positive fantasizing is when you are positive, but you are fantasizing. You're going to be, and when I ask you, a basketball player, and you're going to be in the NBA, but you don't practice. That is called what? Positive fantasizing. You're going to be a doctor, but you don't like to study. You are positively fantasizing. You're going to be in the military, but you're not going to go to PT, right, 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 right? You, you, you refuse to go to PT, right, right? You're, you're not going to the field either. You are positive what? Fantasizing. You are positive. You feel good about this. You like saying it, but the truth is you are going to a field someplace if you don't go to the field. There are things that come with your decision. A lot of people are positive, positive, but you're not going to have a good marriage acting that way. You're fantasizing. You can't have a good marriage cussing out your husband like that. How in the world is that going to work? How are your children going to be okay in this atmosphere of strife and tension? You're not raising okay people. You're raising people that are, that are slowly being um, led down a path that will eventually impact your generations to come. You will teach your kids how to cuss and fight. You're training them. You're training your grandkids. You're creating the soil that your family will grow up in. You cannot have money if you don't save. You're positively fantasizing. The truth is you're suffering from positive fantasizing. And you need to pause and ask yourself. Well, that's a statement that was made by, uh, in a book called Grit, which I'll talk about in a little bit, by a woman named Angela Duckworth, and I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But let me, if I can, go back and give you sort of a summary of where we've been. In our study for the last few months, this is part four in our, this is our fourth series in the year, and uh, each series has sought to answer one question, how do you build a future? And my answer to that has been very simple. To build a future, the first thing you need to do is build a new mind, a new way of thinking. You cannot think the way you thought all your life and have a better future. So if you want to build a better future, you've got to build a new way of thinking, a build a better mind, a new mind. Secondly, I said you've got to build a new approach. If you have not done what you want to do in school, well, you can't study the way you used to study. People who study it, the, those hours get those grades. But if you want a different life, a different school result, you want to be academically qualified for certain jobs, then you have to have a new approach. I cannot approach studying at the last minute. I don't do my sermons that way. I, I, I just think it's just awful. It's just, I'm mean all day Saturday. If I'm not ready, it's, it's terrible. Now that I'm preaching on Saturday, I mean on Friday. 
It's like, you know, you just get it done, come early, prepare. So that's my approach. So I have a new way of thinking, a new approach, and I have some, thirdly, we talked about this in our third series, clear convictions. So you have to build a new mind. Say it with me, come on. A new mind. Build a new approach and build, build clear convictions. What do you absolutely believe? What is your conviction about wealth building, about having resources, about knowing? Are you, are you committed to being knowledgeable about things so that you're not, I say this with love, the dumbest one in the room. If I'm in a meeting, I just don't want to be the dumbest person in here. I don't mind being dumb, but I'm just, I can't be like, if it's 10 dumb people, I don't want to be the dumbest one. I'm going to be number 10. So I try, I, try to, I try to prepare. I try to think, and sometimes I have been. Have you ever been the dumbest one in the room? Have you ever said everybody knew but you? Everybody understood you the only one, and you just go, I was the dumbest one in here. <laughs> no, <laughs> everybody knew. I don't know if you ever did this. You ever, you ever come to church? And it's closed because you didn't set your clock back. <laughs> and you look around, you go back in your car, say, don't say nothing, just get back in the car. Baby. <laughs> don't tell nobody. <laughs> you know, you just, everybody knew but you. You feel like, man, I'm, I just can't believe that's me. But every now and then in my life, I've been that person. I've been in a meeting, I've listened to, I've made an investment, I've done something, and I did you not see what was happening? And so every now and then I think it's important to say, okay, I get these. These three. I think different. I have a new approach. And I got clear convictions now. I'll never do those things again. I'll never make those decisions again. I'll never date that kind of person again. I'll never make that kind of love decision again. I'll never let passion drive me out of, into something that's not smart. I'm clear. Once you get all that settled, clear in your mind, then you must passionately be consistent. And that brings me to the fourth series. Repeat the topic again. Say building... A future, a future with passion. with passion. There's nothing like passion. Nothing like it. And what I want to do is, is point you to a book you can read. It's a wonderful book someone mentioned to me just a couple weeks ago. I never read the book. I thought it was profoundly, it was published last year, but it was a great work. And it's called Grit. Everybody say Grit. Grit, grit is a, a new work, uh, word that has come to mean a lot to me lately. Uh, Angela Duckworth defines a person with grit as one that has passion and perseverance. And once the, one of the staff saw that I was teaching on this, they said, you got to read this book, Pastor. It's really great. And it has really helped me. Because in her description of grit, she's not just talking about being tough. She's talking about being the kind of person who lasts. You're excited, you're committed, but you also last. It's not just tied, as she says, to intellect. We think only, you know, gritty people are smart people. They're just smarter than us. Not necessarily so. Intellect and academic ability doesn't mean that you're going to be successful. I love this little analogy they give. She says that a person can have talent, but talent without effort, you don't get anywhere. So it's, repeat this with him, please. Say talent, talent. Plus, effort plus effort equals skill. skill. You could be a great basketball player, right? And you can have a great talent people can see the talent in you but talent without effort you have to invest the effort it's the 100 free throws it's the 500 dribbles and, and um, it's, it's the it's the it's the running for the passes in, in football it's it's that drilling effort that leads to skill talent plus effort equals skill say it with me come on talent plus effort equals skill 
But a coach knows more than that, right? A coach knows skill plus effort. You can have great skill, but if you don't apply the effort in the game, it's the effort, that's what leads to the achievement. That's why we win the championship. We bring all of that to the game. We have, we have taken this natural talent we have, we put some effort with it, and now our skill level has gone up, and now when we get to the game, we bring the skill, and we apply a, a, a hard press of effort, and there you go, we achieve the championship. But they all must go together. It's not just because you're cute. It's not just because you sound good. A good singer doesn't just have one good song. They can sing. They apply the effort. They work at their skill. And that, that my friend, requires passion and grit. So in this study, we're going to focus on that. And I'm going to focus on a guy named John the Baptist, who is an example of grit, an example of passion, an example of perseverance. Now, what's impressive is this is about, this is going to, let me say, this is, this is going to show you how to get it done. This is a living example of a guy who got it done. And that's what we all need. Who in your life is an example of grit? Who in your life is an example of passion? What person do you know that oozes with passion and strength and commitment? Well, in John chapter, in John's story, in Matthew chapter 3, there is going to be listed several examples that you can look at. And I want you to look with me, and I want you to notice with me these simple examples that he gives. And I want to list the five, what I call five observations about John the Baptist and his passion. And in these five observations, I want you to think about yourself for a minute. The first thing you notice in John's life is he had a message. He had a purpose. He had an audience. He had critics. And he had humility. So he was passionately committed to a message. He was passionately committed to a purpose. And that passion led him to have an incredible audience. But even though he had a great audience, he ended up having to manage critics because that comes with it. But in the midst of that, he stayed humble. So I want you to say the words with me, please. Come on, say a message, a, message. a, purpose, a purpose, an audience, an audience. a critic, critic, and humility. John's statement in Matthew chapter 3 describes his passion this way. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, which means say you're sorry, go in a different direction, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The term kingdom of heaven is a simple term. If you break it down, king, dumb, is there's a king over a domain, a kingdom. And the kingdom of heaven is coming, he says. It's close, it's at hand. Which means, in simple terms, God wants to rule your life. That's what John was preaching to people. He doesn't just want to be some figure in your life. He wants to be in your life. He wants to be the king in your life. He wants to invite you into his domain. Then he goes on and says, the purpose of this is because something's about to come. Look at verse 11 of chapter 3. Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. I he was standing up there and he was baptizing people in the Jordan. And, and as he baptized those people, they were saying, I repent. I'm sorry for my way of life. And they came by the thousands. They came in droves. John was, a, John was an incredibly well-known man in his day. And his message, though, was not about him. His message was about the person that was about to come, which was Jesus. 
And here's how John, now this is so important, especially when we get to the end of this. Listen to what John said about this man. Whose sandals, in verse 11, I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And, and that really is a, more a statement about there's going to be a deeper spiritual dimension for you. When he comes, I'm putting you in water, but he's going to fill you with the Spirit. You're going to have a spiritual experience. And then he says, there's also going to be this cleansing. There's going to be a cleansing. And he says, and if you look at the verse, verse 12, his winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. Now, and some of you say, what in the world is that about? Well, keep reading. And gather his wheat into the barn. Now, if you were a person who lived in this culture and you were a farmer who grew wheat, you would understand this process. The winnowing process is the process of cleaning and separating the wheat from the chaff. That long stalk, he says, no, what's going to happen is in his hand, there's going to be this separating of the wheat from that which is usable from that which is not usable. There's a separation in God's mind. There's a strong message about God coming in and cleaning house, so to speak, if I can use that term gracefully. And John said, that's my message. He will burn up the chaff with the unquenchable fire. When you, when you harvest wheat, you separate it and you take the, the leftover stock that's no good, the chaff, and you throw it in the fire and burn it. The wheat, the little wheat grains, if, you don't, if, you ever, if you're a wheat lover like I am, uh, wheat, has a prof- wheat has a profound use. You know now they have wheat doors? They can take that material now and there's a process they take it through and it turns into material that they can make fireproof doors from. It's amazing. Don't try to eat it, but you get the point. It's, it's, it's an amazing statement that God's going to come and change everything. And that was his message. And he stuck with his message. Now, I don't know what your life message is, but John was clear about his message and his purpose. If you notice, he goes on and he said, for this is in verse 3, he says, for this is he who spoke of, uh, I'm sorry, read it again, preacher. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice, read this with me, please, come on. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. He had a message and a clear purpose. He saw himself as a preparer of the way. I'm not the main guy. I'm not the main highlight. This is not about me. This is about the one that's coming after me. That made him different. And let me tell you something. It's a lot easier when you're clear about what you are and what you're not. If I'm passionate... Passion works better when I have a clear vision. This is, what I'm, this is what I believe are my values. This is my message. These are the things I believe. Then this is my role in that. I am, and I really think it's so easy if you're not careful to get confused. I think preachers get confused. You know, we get to be up here and talk, but it's not about us. Never was, never will be. I mean, I may get to wear a suit and tie or whatever and get to be whatever and whatever, but that's not a, still not about me. I'm a preparer of the way. John the Baptist was really clear about that. You know, you can tell sometimes when you give people opportunity, it changes them. A little bit of money, a little bit of exposure, a little bit of fame, a little bit of whatever. Even in high school, college, you know, you get to be whatever the captain of something or you get to be whatever. And before you know it, you start thinking things you shouldn't think. You get to be a supervisor. You get to be a boss. You get to be in charge. You get a moment in the sun, before you know it, you've lost perspective. Churches do that. They become arrogant as a group. We are, we do, we have, we built, we, we have, we're own. If you're not careful, we're growing. It's all about that more than him. But notice how John was passionately clear. 
I prepare the way. I am not the way. Have you lost sight of what you're here for? This is all about training people. That's why we're in this building. That's why we're online today. We're here because we're helping people understand who they serve. John was so clear about that that it had, thirdly, an impact on the people who heard him, his audience. The Bible says something fascinating about John's audience. They were, in, they were completely engulfed with his message. They, were, they, could, they could get enough of John. They came out and listened to him preach because he preached with such passion that it impacted people. And let me tell you, when you become a person who's clear about your purpose and you're clear about your message, when a church is, it starts to have an impact. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 3. John himself was clothed in camel's hair. Okay, first observation, he doesn't know how to dress. This is not a GQ guy. Then, watch, watch this now, he has a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts with honey. Now, I don't know if you know what a locust is. I didn't know for years. A locust is a flying bug to me. I went to a zoo or someplace, and there were locusts flying around. And I thought, a locust? Well, get out. A locust is calling right now. Jesus, A locust. <laughs> I've had those moments where, you know, it's, it's so amazing that when, when it's all right, find it. It's okay. Work it out. It's all good. Mine went off like that. I was preaching. And, and mine went off, and I was sitting there, and I couldn't cut it off. And the preacher I was sitting next to, he, the phone kept, kept going. It's just like that. It kept on going. It kept on going. And, and so I'm trying to ignore the phone, right? I'm trying to ignore the phone. And, 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 and it was sitting next to the, the guest, the pastor I was preaching for. And he says, Temple, your phone is going off. And I said, I, no, he, no, he said, he, he said he, I said, Pastor, is that your phone going off? That's what I did. I walked up to him, and he says, no, it's your phone going off. That's what he told me. So anyway, so the locust, the locust, I was at the zoo, and this locust was flying around, and I thought to myself, I said, John the Baptist would get him right now. If John, I mean, can you imagine, this is your man, make this your man for a minute. He don't know how to dress. He's eating honey and locusts, and he's outside preaching. What an amazing story. What an amazing man who doesn't look impressive, but he is. He's got this passionate message. So you don't have to be GQ. People aren't moved just because you look the part. Have you ever seen, ladies, a woman that you know get a man and you look at her and you look at him and you say, how in the world did that happen? <laughs> just how in the world? What can he see? Does he need glasses? What is going on? Everybody say passion. passion. She's passionate about it. She cooks his food with passion. Smiles with passion, greets him with passion, kind. I didn't say lust, get the separate. It's just separate. Some, some people think, well, I didn't say lust. He looks at him with, I, I like my man. I, I treat him with respect. There's something about it. When you, when you treat people with passion, you draw them. And this is a guy who is drawing tremendous crowds because he's standing up there and he's preaching this message with incredible passion. And they came. Bible says, watch this, verse 5, Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Confessing their sins. The people came. You know, you can't fake this. You can't pretend. You, one of the things I've learned is 
over time, people figure you out. They can tell whether you're passionately committed to this relationship or not. They can tell whether you're passionately committed to this job or not. When John stood in front of those people, there was something about the way he communicated this message, about this king coming, the way he talked that drew them in. And they talked about it. Did you hear what John said today? John preached about it. It was this talk that was buzzed, that was flying everywhere. But in the midst of that, you always run into critics. You cannot avoid the reality that you're going to have criticism. It's part of the journey. If you think that you're going to be passionate and nothing's going to come along to try to silence your passion or stop it, you are wrong. You cannot have success without critics. And his critics were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That, to me, is one of the most important things for a passionate person to understand. Because for a lot of us, if we're not careful, our passion is only temporary. It starts and stops. Listen to what happens in verse 7. And I want you to watch carefully how he maturely handles critics. Now let me say this again. I want you to be clear. You cannot have success without critics. You cannot. Everybody's not going to like your food. Everybody's not going to like your music. Everybody's not going to like the way you want things to be. All you have to do is get married. You'll find that out. It's not, you have kids. They don't like everything in the family. And you have to learn how to manage that. Now, I personally, before I read this, I understand that in my life it's, it's, it's to my advantage to have fair observations about what's not perfect about me. That is un, it's unwise for me to not be able to manage fair observations. There's just something healthy about that. You need to get over needing everybody to like and approve everything you cook, say, do, everything you believe. There are moments when it's not easy. There are moments when it's not simple. There are moments when it's, 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 it's awful. There, there are moments when you have an instructor you cannot connect with. You just don't think the same way. You don't like the way they communicate. I mean, there's, there's, there, there, I've, I've had, an, I had an instructor, a couple of them, you know, one just sent me this awful review on a paper I did. I thought, well, look, I appreciate your observation, but could you be a little nicer? I said that to him. He said, oh, I'm sorry. He apologized. It's unprofessional. You don't have to say that. If there's something in this that you don't like, I get that, okay? But you don't have to do that. There's a, there's a mature way to respond, but yet take the advice. If this wasn't thought out well enough, if, it, if I didn't give it the right emphasis, I get that. But you don't have to smash me like a bug. But there are people, listen to me, who will. For reasons you may not ever be able to understand. And if you spend your life trying to understand and control that, you are going to not do well in life. You can't allow someone to stop your, your passion for a job or a career. One person moves in the department, and now you don't want to be that anymore. Well, really? It's all drained out because of one person? One individual, has lo you lost all your vision. I know pastors who, who love preaching until they went to a church and dealt with a group of deacons. Drained all the love out of them. I've been doing a series uh, with leaders 
around the country. I've done it probably in the last month, three or four times, different cities. And the name of the series is called Surviving the Ministry You Love. What's the name of the series? Surviving the Ministry You Love. Now, in teaching this series, I teach on how to prepare sermons. I talk about five things that get in the way of you enjoying your ministry, your money, your family, the responsibilities. All so I'll talk about all that to leaders. And, and one, one pastor I said this to was so amazing. He said to me, I said, uh, he said, well, what are you doing, Pastor Rick? This yesterday. He said, what are you? I told him, he said, well, I said, I said, what, I said this, what's the name of the series you're teaching? I said, well, when I travel, I've been teaching on surviving the ministry you love. He said, I need one called surviving the ministry you hate. So why do you feel that way? See, he, he went through some hard experiences that drain out his passion. What have you gone through? Who have you, who have you allowed to steal from you the joy of marriage? My wife. My husband. <laughs> my friend. Watching my neighbor. What, what's happened to you? And that's what I talked to this pastor about. I said, what happened to you? What made you, what made you don't you understand how this can affect your people? And it was, it was a great conversation, and, and I believe it was helpful, but at the end of the day, it touched me because I thought, it's so easy for us to not notice what's happened to us. You are living, look at the preacher here, a passionless life. You're not excited about anything. And I think that's tragic. I think that's a tragic way to live your life when you don't have any passion at all, no fire, no energy, nothing. And you let it all happen because of the critics. Listen to what Jesus, how, how John responded. Watch this mature response, verse 7 of Matthew 3. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, brood of what? Snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Who told you to flee? Who told you to run? Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's, it's, it's all, he says, you know, I'm not going to allow you guys to convince me or try to, try to, try to control, me, control me. He speaks firmly to them and he's strong. And I love the fact that he says, I'm, I'm, I am not the issue. You can brag about your heritage with Abraham. You can brag about who you are, but there's a new axe being laid to the root. You are the religious leaders. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the most famous leaders in his day. And he says, you know, I, I'm, really, I'm really not going to allow you to dominate and control me and control how I think. He speaks up, and sometimes in life you have to do that. Sometimes you have to say, no, I refuse to think that way. I'm not going to allow you to come in here and, and in the midst of this moment rob me of my passion, and he stands his ground. For some of you, that's the best decision you can ever make. I have this really simple rule I live by. I think it's nice to be called Pastor Rick. I think it's nice to be here. I think it's nice to do this. But I know I won't always get to. And I can't allow myself to become overwhelmed with, and I'm not, sometimes when people do this, they're trying to, they have somebody in mind. 
I don't have anybody in mind. I've never been that kind of way. I've talked to you personally. If I think I had a problem with five people, I'd go to the five people. I wouldn't tell all 100 people. Come on, say amen if you hear me. So don't say, who, he, who is he talking about? Nobody. I don't have anybody in mind, but I've, I've seen people, and I've, I've, I've been in moments when I've seen how because of one critic, because of one place of tension, all your joy leaves because you don't have a title anymore that you used to have. See, one day I won't be Pastor Rick. That's why I got to keep Ricky healthy. Because if I keep Ricky Temple healthy, you know that guy, then Pastor Rick will be okay. But if ever my whole life becomes consumed by the title Pastor Rick, and Ricky's not okay, and Diane's not okay, that's, that's where it starts. Let's start with a bishop or whatever title or any of that. And so if Ricky can, can maturely respond to criticism, it's fair. But not allow himself to be squashed because people are unfairly critical. There's so many little things that, that just can, can just get you, and it just stays with you like a plague. I'll show you what I mean. I want to destroy somebody's sermon notes. Who doesn't mind? I can, I can do this? You don't mind? Good. Thank you. Watch this. Thank you. I don't need this part. You can have it. There you go. This is what I would get after church. Sometimes, you know, when the sermon's over, with, everything's great. And I have passion, be excited about the sermon, be excited about the message. People came to Christ. It was great service. And then they give me the offering. Total. Drain out all the passion. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You work all week and then things don't go right. Bills are tight. This used to affect me. Or somebody would come up to me and after I preach and do my best and they come up and say, you know, Pastor, I really didn't like your sermon. You know what that does to you? Drain out your passion. One, one point of insensitive criticism. And, and let me say this to you. you know, now, here's what I'm thinking sometimes. Well, if you don't, you don't like my sermon, I don't like yours either. I mean, if you want to, you know, you start trying to, you know, fight back. But, but, but if you're not careful, every time you see people coming after you, you're nervous. You know, I said, you know what? First of all, I think you know, that's, that's kind of cold. We have to brother work hard. Sometimes, you know, it was the best I had that day. Praise God. Just go get a tape if you want something else. That's the best today. But you can't let those moments drown you. Some of you have allowed somebody to say one thing to you. One thing. And you have, it has destroyed all of your passion. One financial report that's not what you want destroys all of your passion. You didn't get the promotion you want in all of your passion. You didn't get chosen for the cheerleaders. You didn't get, you didn't get, you didn't get the position. They didn't choose you in the sorority or fraternity. For that one thing, your whole life is now drained out. You didn't get to marry who you want to marry. Why would you want to marry somebody that not want to marry you? Why are you still hoping they come back? Don't hope that. Why must your life, for, your whole life be destroyed? See, this is why I am working so hard to say, Ricky, learn from John the Baptist. Step over people that unfairly criticize you and live your life. Don't allow yourself to be dominated by that. Don't be dominated by a financial report. Don't be dominated by a bill. Don't be dominated by who you owe money to. Don't be, don't be dominated by what you lost. Celebrate what you have. B 
build your future and speak to the future. Come on, say amen if you're in there. Now, I want to be clear that I, I, I embrace fair criticism. But I think there's a way you do it. There's a timing. There's a sensitivity to it. And I love the fact that John stepped over all that, but yet he kept in perspective who he was not. Look at verse 13 and number 5. He was humble. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by who? You. Yet you're, and you're coming to me. Now, the most amazing thing about John's passion was John did not be, ever become so passionate that he became arrogant. He didn't become this lifted up guy who knew everything. He wasn't this guy who somehow did not understand that he had a place. And it wasn't at the top. Now, what's really impressive about this is he's talking to his cousin. And maybe you didn't know this. John the Baptist, if you look at Luke, I put in your notes for you under summary, Luke 1.36, John was Jesus' relative or his cousin. Understand this. This is not somebody that John didn't know. Remember John said, there's one coming after me who's worthier than I, whose shoelaces, whose shoes I'm not worthy to carry. He knew who he was. So if you look at the text and you watch, Jesus came, John sees him, and he knows who that is. That's the guy, but this is someone that's in his family. Now, this is what's impressive. It, how could Jesus convince his family to follow him? You know what? You know who knows if you're phony or not? Your family. You go tell your family you're the Lord. You the Lord of what? <laughs> you owe me fifty dollars. That's the Lord. You need to give my fifty dollars. Lord, he's the Lord. Lord of what? That lying boy. He ain't no Lord. He lied. You would know. His cousin sees him coming, and his cousin says, "I'm not worthy to carry his shoes," and says to him, "Listen, um, you're not." Uh, not going to baptize i'm not going to baptize you jesus said no you need to you need to baptize me now this this is really you can see this more if you look at acts chapter one later on in, in the upper room the 120 people that were in the upper room in the book of acts after jesus death the bible says his brethren were there his family members came what does his cousin he won family too there's something about Verifying this at home. What would your family say about you? Up close, the ones who really know you. This humility is not something that John was manufacturing. John said, no, I, I know about that turning water into wine. I, I know who this is. And there's a whole different approach. There's a passion, there's a humility that's driven by conviction. He's passionately humble, not because he's being forced to be. He, know, he knew he was standing in the midst of greatness. You know, I can't force you to be humble. I can't teach you into being humble. You have to become convinced. When you interact with people, and if you have a humble spirit, you know why you have one? Because you've come to a conviction. This is the way I should be. 
I, I shouldn't be in the front seat. I should be in the back. That's the conviction. When he saw Jesus, he had a conviction. And what, I've con what I'm convinced of now in my life, until the Lord gets you to a place where you are convinced, you will never be humble. You will never have a message. You never live with purpose. You will never respond to your critics properly. You will always live in this place of frustration. And what's really amazing is you'll go through spikes of passion and no passion. Clarity and no clarity. Next week, I'm going to talk about temporary passion. And you know all about that. That's when you went and bought all that gym equipment and never worked out. <laughs> oh, you got that membership. Remember, you paid all the money for that membership, and you never went back. Temporary passion. Not like John, who all of his life stayed focused. All of his life was clear. All of his life, he stayed on track. Now, I'm telling you, if you really want to see your life change, you can start off with reading books and change the way you think and learn all kind of truth. You can practice new approaches. You can get clear convictions. But until it burns in you, until there's something that drives you that's got nothing to do with whether the offerings are great or the money is great or the bills are right, none of that matters. You can step over all of that. People criticizing you, all of that goes away because you know something. You know somebody. It's not about a title. It's not about power. It's about what you know. Every day I get up, I find myself praying this prayer with passion. Father, I speak your word over my life. I, I pray for you to give me wisdom and grace in my mind and my heart. I pray, God, that you'd help me in these moments when I'm tempted to be frustrated, to be clear. I find myself wanting to find the lowest spot on the altar I can and just lay there and pray for as long as I can. I find myself in the moments of, of frustration. I find myself when I'm in those moments when I'm insecure and I'm not really sure what to do. I find myself praying the prayer, Father, I humble myself to you and I trust you in Jesus' name to give me grace and wisdom. And when I'm, when I'm not, when I'm scared, when there are moments that, that, that I'm, I'm tempted to be intimidated, I find myself wanting to humble myself before him. And here's what happens. The more I interact with him and his word, the stronger my passion rises. As I humble myself before him, I rise against my enemies with strength. I rise with a sense of power and confidence. Hey, listen, if, if the money is low, God is still faithful. Come on, say amen. amen. Come on, if things ain't right, he'll make it right. Come on, say amen. If people talk about me, God will still give me power and strength. Come on, say amen. You believe me, church? I believe that I can't lose. I believe I can only win. I have been around for a long time, and I've been through a lot of trials and tribulations, and I've watched people go through all kinds of things, but my God has never let me down. And so I want you right now to lift your hand with me. Father, I speak the word of God over the lives of your people. And I declare that the power and the strength, that the fire that John the Baptist had would come upon us. That as we look at what he did and faced, that we would, and eventually they killed him. But he stood with passion to the end of his life. He refused to allow himself to be destruct, destruct, destroyed. He refused to allow himself. He refused, in Jesus' name, to allow the moment to get away from him. He stood strong. And so, God, in your name, I declare, I declare in Jesus' name that the power of the word of God
is at work in our lives and our hearts. The power of the word of God is strong in us today. And that we will not be defeated. We will not become arrogant people. We're going to always be humble people. We're going to always be people that know how to maturely respond to criticism. When it comes and it's fair, we'll listen to it and embrace it. But when it's unfair, we'll step over it. Lord God, we're not going to allow ourselves in Jesus' name to lose confidence in you. And so, God, I speak to those right now who are worried because they lost a job or lost an opportunity. You're still God. And so, God, I pray they'd get up and say, I'm going to approach my life with passion. And I'm going to persevere. I'm going to have grit. And I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to take the talent I have and add some effort to it and let God help me develop skill. Then I'm going to take that skill and add some more effort to it. And I'm going to start achieving things. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to become a happier person. I'm, I'm not going to be running around just taking anybody, dating just anybody, going after just anybody. I'm not going to live in a state of compromise morally. I'm going to stand up and be the woman of God, the man of God that God's called me to be. And Father, I declare in Jesus' name, there's going to rise a spirit of passion in this church. Passion for God. Not manufactured. Something that's genuine that our families can see. When they get close upon us, they'll say, there's something burning in him. There's something burning in her that's genuine. And when they hear us speak, when they see us under pressure, when they see us cornered in difficult moments, we'll come out because we have the power of passion in our lives. We're committed to doing this right. We're committed to responding to this moment in a correct, with a correct attitude. And so, God, I give you praise and I give you glory in Jesus' name. Tell a quick story. I went to, I went to court with somebody. And they were supposed to pay some fee. And I, it was years ago. And I, I went to court and I was standing at the pay window where the person was. And the person, I don't know why, that I went with, I was the pastor and I was just helping him. And, I, and, I, and, and I, for some reason, the person, I had to go to the counter for the person. And as I was talking, the lady chewed me out and started uh, man it was awful it was I don't know what I don't know how this, she had a bad day or something but she was telling me and pointing and, and the police officer was standing back on the right side and he just stood there for a while he let her just chew me out real good and I was trying to you know okay I'm, I'm in the pole I'm in I don't I don't want to end up in court for real so you just kind of take it. Ma'am, I'm just, I don't know what you thought you heard. I'm, I didn't say that. That's not what happened. And, and she's, hey, she's going off. And, and the officer did this. He waited for a good, oh, three minutes, four minutes, just two, it, was, it seemed like for an hour. And he said, excuse me, I'm sorry. This is Pastor Rick. And um, that's not what happened. He's trying to help this young man. And she zipped got saved right quick <laughs> and this is what he told me might not have been right this is what he told me he said pastor I just want to see if he was real I could have jumped in a little earlier but he said I was impressed I'm sorry that happened to you people are looking 
to be passionately humble when it's not fair? Or do you say, well, I know one thing, then you end up in jail. You have the right to remain silent. <laughs> Man, I remember that. People are looking for somebody with passion. Be that person. Father, I pray that as we leave today, the people would leave here and say, I get it. I'm clear. I'm clear. I want to be an example like John the Baptist was for us. I want to learn from his example. It's not about being GQ. It's about being changed in heart. And so I thank you. I don't want to just look strong and look passionate. I want to live passionately. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I heard the message. And I heard what John the Baptist was preaching. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And God wants to be the ruler in my life. He wants me to be a part of his kingdom. He wants to be a part. I, I want to become a, a person who serves God. If that's you today after hearing the message and you want me to pray for you, that is all I'm asking. You want me to pray for you because you, you want to start a walk with God today. You want to start a new life with Jesus. You have to start somewhere. And this is a good place to start. If that's you and you're saying, just pray for me, Pastor. I want to leave you changed. You're not going to be perfect when you leave, but you want to leave on the road. Just raise your hand so I can know who I'm praying for. Say, pray for me, Pastor. I see three, I see four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, about 12, 13. Raise your hand. I want to see who you are. 14. I want to see you so I can know. Thank you. Three of you. Father, I pray for these in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, that this would be the beginning day for them, a new start. In the name of Jesus, I ask you, Lord God, to bless and strengthen and heal and give, give grace to them. Let them understand, Lord God, this is the day that you brought them to. When they come to Jesus and say, I surrender my life to you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm not perfect overnight, but I need to start a life with you. Whether you be here or home, we pray this is the beginning day you pray this prayer. And may your life never be the same. In the name that's above all names, everybody say amen.